Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Ammers. Hello, hello, hello everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast, which still has its long name and I think the name is beginning to stick. So that's who we are, the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Little interviews, pieces of audio and interesting articles for people who are into language learning, especially all you self-directed language learners out there. Um, Before I get into today's podcast, I've just got a little service announcement. Um, It's sort of an advert, but an advert for me. I have started a new business next to Fluent. As you all know, I'm a language teacher and online teacher who loves helping other people in their online teaching. All this year I have been running the 50 calls project, which is 50 calls where I'm just giving free advice to people who want to know how to build a brand or make an online course or teach online. And from that I have learned so much um, about what people are interested in and I'm beginning to make this part of my business. So if you go to kirstenhammers.com and that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S.com Um, That is the page if you are self-employed, if you are looking for the freedom of freelancing, if you want to become location independent, be an online teacher, no matter what you are teaching, could be cake making, could be English, could be French writing, or it could be something completely out there like reading palms or uh, programming, Lord knows what. Um, If you are interested in this and you're wondering who wants to buy this and you're just having all these worries that I have been through as well, then why not come and talk to me and we'll see if there is something that I can do for you uh, as a business coach, as a mentor. I've got an awful load of services on offer and it's all new on there for you. And what's most exciting is currently I'm running a course called Compass for your orientation. The first module is going live at the end of November. It's called Not Just Another Teacher. And if you want to stand out and not just be another online teacher, then this would be thing I would completely recommend to you. And the link for you to click there is going to be kirstenhammers.com slash not just another teacher. So that's simple and straightforward once you've learned how to spell my name, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to have to rename this business and give it a name that's really easy to spell. Okay. Let's move on to the article of the week, and it's a good one, guys. Today's article of the week is a slightly older one from March the 11th in 2014. It comes from The Economist magazine, and the question that this article is asking is, what is a foreign language worth? Now, the reason I want to bring back this article to discuss it with you guys again and to just talk about it is because recently I saw it tweeted on Twitter, and the person tweeting it made such a smart and intelligent remark about it, and that was, since when is learning a foreign language the same as putting a deposit in the bank? And that is so smart, because I do agree that sometimes we sort of become blinkered and we become completely focused on language choices and try to find this sort of overarching reason to learn a language, something like... um, 
oh, it makes your brain a lot healthier, or it does this and this and that. And I just feel like if you have a 14-year-old college student, and if you're listening, you are a 14-year-old college student, you know, come and tell me um, if I'm right. But do, do you guys really get motivated by something like this? By, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's worth money to learn a foreign language? I'm not sure. Now, let's take a step back and frame this article. Um, this article is written by The Economist, and it's... Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levilt, the economists behind Freakonomics, actually got a reader question and it goes like this. My oldest daughter is a college freshman and not only have I paid for her to study Spanish for the last four or more years, they even do it in grade school now, but her college is requiring her to study even more, capital letters, exclamation point. What on earth is going on? How did it ever get this far? Or to put it in economics terms, where is the ROI? So that's the question. Where is the return on investment on all that time that we put into language learning? Because language learning obviously needs to pay off. Um, so, okay, looking at it from an economist's point of view, what the original um, researchers who held, who answered the question found was that, of course, there are huge health benefits to having to becoming bilingual to having another language in your life um, it's recently been discovered as well that actually no matter what age you're picking that language up at so it's not it doesn't have to be your oldest daughter it could just be you no matter what age you're picking up a new language it is going to massively benefit you and um, make your gray matter more dense that's what's recently been found out and i'm going to reference this in the show notes as well um but going back so there are the health benefits then there is the fact that foreign language learning can actually help you become better at decision making and then there is the earnings factor so it is actually true that languages put you in more demand in the workplace you're generally going to be earning more money if you are a language learner and it's about 2% difference that they make. So originally the economists in this were looking at language learning as a, well, what's a 2% investment? Is it worth even putting all that time aside if all we're getting back is, what, $600 if you're a $30,000 a year earner? Forget about that. And what this economist article did, actually did really, really well, was to extrapolate, and we're now going into maths territory, so bear with me because we're both trying to get our heads around this, um, extrapolate the 2% premium as an accumulating, as if you'd put money in the bank, an accumulating deposit that just keeps giving you more and more and more and more because the benefit grows throughout your career. And they actually work this out for different languages. And as it turns out, the best language, if you're American and you're looking for a foreign language and you want to make a choice entirely informed on earnings potential, the best language to learn over the course of your career, over the course of 40 years, is German. German is going to bring you a return on investment of $128,000 throughout your career. That is amazing. Um, the next languages to learn would be French and Spanish. And the rationale that these economists put behind it, which is, again, really, really interesting, is not just that Germany is um, a rich country, of course, which is open to trading with the world and does a lot of exporting, but also that 
studying German compared to French and Spanish actually makes you stand out in the workplace in the USA. There are a lot of Hispanic native speakers, uh, Canada has a lot of native French speakers that it contributes, French is widely taught in most uh, American schools as well as Spanish. So if you are a German fluent speaker and you can contribute to your company's uh, trade with Luxembourg, Switzerland, Austria and Germany, you are actually going to earn your company a lot of extra money. So two things that I really have to contribute to this, or that I want to say about this article, are that number one, I do want to make you aware of what a sober um, and kind of detached way of thinking this is about language learning. The question when it came in, this sort of outrage and oh my god, she still has to learn languages, she's already done it for four years is to me such a misinformed and um, backwards attitude to language learning really. It is, you know, when you're learning a language it's kind of like learning the piano. You don't want to get to this eventual finishing point. You want to study this because you are going to become more rounded as a person and it's going to make you in, in general, a more intelligent, healthier, uh, more resilient person to be able to, you know, either speak a foreign language, play an instrument, repair a car, no matter what you're learning, no matter what, you know, hobby and dedicated knowledge acquisition that you have in your life, it's going to make you not not just worth more to your employers, not just healthier, but it, it's just not working towards a goal. It is an ongoing process and it's something that we do for our own enrichment all the way through life, is my personal point of view. It would be really interesting to hear what you guys think about this and, you know, do leave me some comments in the in the blog post over at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And my second point about this is just to emphasise that I have personally done jobs in the past where literally I have been the best paid person of my grade in the whole company entirely because I spoke French. I have been recruited away from jobs because I was fluent in a third or a second language. It, I, have been, I have never really struggled in the workplace to find a job and it's having a language to fall back on, on your CV, is a hugely amazing point. You are forever going to be able to just be confident and stand out because learning a language makes you more money. It is just absolutely true. I completely agree with this and you know, no matter whether they put the date, no matter which angle the data um, in this article comes from, um, I can just talk from personal experience and tell you it really is true. Speaking a foreign language does you a world of favours and careers with languages are one of my own personal passion points and I really want to recommend this to you. Make sure that you consider keeping your language with you just on the side. Don't drop it when you go to university, don't drop it when you go to college. Just keep it going, keep yourself a little bit proficient in the foreign language because ultimately it's going to be that one extra skill that just gets you ahead. Um, and that's my question in a mothering mode <laughs> finished for you now. Um, and like I said, the article that I do really want to recommend to you um, just as a completely different and maybe slightly odd angle to look at language learning. It's called What is a foreign language worth? Just in case you were wondering what the return on investment is on all that time that you spend learning a language. All right, let's move on to the main 
interview today, which I'm really, really proud about. It is an interview with Brianne Dick. Her company is My Name is Brianne, and she's got an amazing introduction for you. So if you're into online courses and you just want to learn um, either how to make an online course or how to find an online course that isn't a complete waste of money, this is the person to listen to. And I'm going to go straight into it. Let's go, Brianne. today I have a really special guest. She is my first Canadian guest on the Creative Language Learning Podcast and um, Brianne Dick from My Name is Brianne is a world-renowned expert in all things online courses. So today we're going to talk about uh, online courses, online learning and how you can get the most out of everything that's on offer on the internets and off the internets as well. So, hey, Brianne. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and give a bit of background of what you do and how you work? Sure, so uh, I've been working in this kind of online space for, oh, probably about 15, 18 years now. My my first online experience uh, was I built a website for my dad's company when I was still in high school. And uh, I've kind of been, been doing that kind of thing ever since. And over the last, oh, I'd say year and a half to two years, I've really been noticing that there are a lot of people who, where we used to be producing ebooks and that sort of thing to be teaching online. Now videos become so prominent, audio, mixed media, it's all, it's all this big thing. So we've got these online courses going on. And in the intervening years between when I built, built that first website for my dad's company and now, I spent about five years working in adult education. I worked in a post-secondary and that was a really great time for me because I learned a lot about how people learn. And so when I left that job to go and start working on my own, I realized that, you know, there's all these courses, there's all this training, we've got all these tools like video and audio and all this great stuff. But what we're missing in the online economy is a really great understanding of how people learn. And so that's what I do is I work specifically with instructors usually, to help them understand how to craft a message so that it's heard by the right people, understood by those people, and then ultimately that it has you taking action so that you're actually learning in a really powerful and, and profound way. Oh, that's, oh, that's an amazing sort of story that you've got there. And I can, I can instantly tell we've both got this, we've both got something in common in that we really care about adults. Um, as learners and lifelong learning and that that for me is kind of where my where part of my sort of mission comes from to say well you know learning never stops and I want people to be keeping that door open no matter if you're learning languages or whatever it is you know keep that door open and learn all your life long yeah absolutely what what I often have have said you know I, I come from a world of you know online marketing and and you know you're just you're not just putting a course up but you have to sell it and all of this and the thing that I that I often say to people is that what you have to remember is that teaching and learning filters through everything you do so whether you're trying to even sales is a process of education it's a process of trying to help the other person that you're speaking to understand is this something that's for me 
or is it something that's not for me? We wouldn't normally think of sales as an education thing, but it is. We wouldn't normally think of you know, our day-to-day -day lives and tasks as being a continuous process of education, but it is. And what's really valuable is that when we have that perspective that everything we do is learning, we can start to see that learning doesn't have to be artificial. It doesn't have to be something that lives in a classroom or out of a textbook. It can be something that can be much more natural and holistic and well-rounded. Mm -hmm. And the, the language learning world in particular, I think, is taking massive steps towards that. And um, a lot of courses online these days are aimed at language learners. And mm -hmm. But at the same time, I sort of look at, uh, in the UK, they have this thing called Linguaphone. So, um, and then there is Rosetta Stone and Michelle Thomas. And back in 1944, you could probably buy some sort of long player vinyl uh, recording, <laughs> you know, and it seems like ever since there's been recordings, their language has been recorded, which means people have had self-taught courses. People have tried to self-teach themselves a language. So language tuition for me is almost one of the, one of the original kind of daddies of, uh, autonomous learning. Um, but mm -hmm. that, that means there are obviously now there are loads of online courses out there and some of them are awesome. Some of them are terrible. Um, mm -hmm. so first of all, language learning, it is one of the classic areas of self-teaching. Uh, and can you imagine why that would be, or is, is there something about language in particular that lends itself really well to this sort of space? I think one of the things, and this is now changing with the internet, but there's a, a history here with languages is you have to, there's a perception that, uh, you know, there's there's something, uh, pun sort of intended, incredibly foreign about learning another language. <laughs> and so before the internet, what were your options? Well, your options were to try and find someone in your community that could teach you that language, which could be very challenging, uh, depending on the community that you live in. And if that wasn't an immediately available option, well, then you would go to self-study. And so I think that there's, that's one aspect of it is, you know, pre, we have this kind of idea that, that it can be, it can be hard to find someone to teach you the language. So self-study is a good way to do that. And then you bring on the internet and it becomes even easier to learn a language on your own. The other thing that I comes into it, uh, that I think comes into it is that language is so intrinsic. You know, it's, it's the first, one of the first major life skills that we learn. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're talking, we've seen that even before you can verbalize words, uh, very young children, babies can use sign language to, you know, communicate their thoughts. And language is so basic and fundamental that it, it's, it's something that we take for granted in a lot of ways. And so when we're put in a situation where all of a sudden we don't know, we are not expert. We can't communicate ourselves. That's very uncomfortable. And we just don't like putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations. So self-study and self-guided and self-directed learning, that we compensate for that. We want to be um, minimally competent before we go out into the world and start revealing ourselves as incompetent because <laughs> it's such a fundamental skill for us. Oh, I think you're saying something there that's so, so important and that I notice so much with self-study because um, the first thing is, you know, you can't really learn a language without 
at least a recording of another speaker because mm. it's impossible to learn a language without practicing but that what you're saying there about self-teaching that is so true this this sort of if you're teaching yourself a language so many people feel extremely vulnerable because suddenly there's something that you can't do that you you can always normally do um and it's right. so awkward and so uncomfortable and it's it's like you want to self-teach and you want to stay in this safe space you know so they want to stay in the safe zone um and i really i really like that and you're right that is i think that that's almost the answer for me well you know we can't answer questions like that i guess but <laughs> it's <laughs> but it's it's a really really big point it's like you know language is really attractive as a self-taught um education or you know like to people who like to teach themselves stuff because teaching getting a language from other people is much more uncomfortable than teaching it to yourself because you can yeah, I think you can pretend you're right for much longer <laughs> that as well as i think you know in my personal experience is that there's a tendency for language learners to say well i just want to get the basics and then i'll go get help you know i, I want to be able to at least say you know these key phrases and and have some basic pronunciation so I don't sound like an idiot or that I don't seem like I don't know anything. There's, there's an aspect of, of a, there's a perception that you have to in some ways be ready. And then you compound that with this completely ridiculous notion that some people are naturals at language learning and some people aren't. And that becomes an extra layer of uh, mental scripts that we have going on that make this a very complicated subject. Mm -hmm. when actually it's it's not complicated it it would be so much easier to learn languages if only we could switch our overthinking heads off i think <laughs> it would be easier to learn anything True. if you could switch <laughs> your overthinking heads off <laughs> so i like that that you said there is a perception that you have to be ready um and the, the more you try to be ready the more you realize you're not ready now, I want yeah. to ask you about online courses in particular, because there's a lot of kind of words and ideas flinging around. Obviously, for language learners these days, it's almost like if you're on the Internet and you have this idea you want to learn a language, the first thing you do is download this thing called Duolingo, which mm -hmm. you, you may have tried. Um, and it's yep. kind of like a computer game that makes you repeat a lot of words and um, claims it can teach you a language, although I'm not convinced personally. Um, but mm -hmm. you may, so that's a kind of, it's almost like the gamified version of learning a language. Um, and yep. then there are, there are these things called MOOCs, right? So my, one of my questions would be, what is a MOOC and what's the difference between a Duolingo type game and so a learning game and a MOOC mm -hmm. and what is a MOOC and then what else is out there? What else can people look for? Sure. So to answer the first question, a MOOC is a uh, massively open online course. Uh, I think I got the order of the O's correct there. Uh, basically, the way that MOOCs started was a couple of universities in the United States decided that they were sick of their teaching and knowledge being locked in the ivory tower and uh, especially in the in the U.S., tuition for the top tier schools is terribly expensive unless you can you know get a, a scholarship or a grant or, or something like that. And so they decided that you know learning and and this sort of thing should be free and open to the world. And they created the idea of the MOOC as a vehicle to do that. 
and literally as the name implies, massively open online course, these courses are intended to be huge in terms of the number of enrollments. You can have hundreds, thousands, even hundreds of thousands of students taking one of these courses. And very often what they are, are the, the lectures and assignments and, and that sort of thing that are taught in the classroom setting that have just been published out into the internet for the world to use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some MOOCs now also have an instructor or TAs who can facilitate that material. And that would be what I would consider probably a, a MOOC 2.0. Uh -huh. Now, how that is different from something like Duolingo is Duolingo, as you said, it's gamified. It's much more of a, um, how do you want to say how do you want to say it? Um, it's skill-based. It's very tactically focused on you're going to learn some key phrases, you're going to learn some key words, and you're going to learn, ideally, how to string them together to make yourself understood. It's very outcomes-based, and it's very self-driven and self-guided. Mm -hmm. It is focused specifically on the acquisition of words and phrases, and then, as I said, presumably being able to at least make yourself understood through the use of that language, even if you're not, uh, you know, you don't understand what's going on. A MOOC, on the other hand, would be much more like a university course in that they would, they would be attempting to provide you with instruction, whereas Duolingo would be something that would be... Mm, kind of throwing you in the deep end a little bit. Here's your, say, German. Now, what does it mean in English? Here's your English. What does it mean in German? Yeah. Uh, whereas the MOOC would be much more like a, a traditional university-style course uh, with lectures and homework. And the idea of the MOOC is that there are hundreds of other people going through this experience with you and that you could presumably learn from each other. So it's got more of a community-type side of it as compared to Duolingo, which is very much a, a strictly solo endeavor. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, I, I like, I like that you're pointing that out, the community aspect. Now, a MOOC, is it always free? Um, I mean, or would, 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 would of course, environment something like Udemy, which is where I'm hosting French Grammar for Beginners, um, which is, again, it's videos and I've got quizzes in there. So, and I've got a community of people so that if somebody asks a question, I'm there answering questions for them. Um, but that the way I structured that was not as a university module as such. I wanted it to be um, sort of bite-sized reference pieces. So it doesn't all right. build on top of each other. It's grammar, right? And grammar, mm. you look it up when you need it. And that's the same idea. So would that count as a MOOC or does it, are they always, do they always have a specific outcome that you want at the end? So I think that there's, you've touched on something that's really interesting, and that is this, this kind of uh, environment that learning is taking place online. What is very interesting is that MOOCs by definition, yeah, they're open and they're free. Some mm -hmm. institutions or some companies that have uh, been offering MOOCs now make it such that uh, if you want a certificate at the end, you can pay to take a test and then get the certificate. Um, but the, the definition and the history of a MOOC is that it literally is taking an online, uh, taking, sorry, a university course and making it uh, publicly available online. 
to to people to basically self-study their way through a university course. Mm -hmm. Something like what you would find on Udemy or any of these other kind of private yeah like to the public uh, yeah exactly these are are something that are a little bit different and it's also uh the you you can offer things through udemy you can also offer it some people are starting to offer these things independently through their own websites uh or through services like something like rizuku or or that sort of thing and these are a little bit different again because these are much more uh i would compare them more to so you have uh, your university courses, and that's the MOOC equivalent. You have your, uh, I'm going to sit down with a workbook and try and figure this stuff out on my own. And that's kind of the Duolingo equivalent. Mm-hmm. And what I would consider more what you're doing is more like a, a seminar or a workshop or, or something, you know, maybe it's at, in a community center or it's a continuing education where it's not the actual university program, but you're coming maybe an evening a week or a couple evenings a week. It's much uh, less structured. You know, it's not, it's not a four credit course, like a university course. Mm-hmm. It's much more, uh, I am interested in learning this for my own self, for my own purposes. And this is a very interesting way of learning language because- flexible right it makes it incredibly more flexible um it makes it uh, much more diverse as well because you have individuals who are then able to teach according to their own strengths and you start to find as a learner you start to have more breadth and options available to you you can go and learn the grammar if you want to take an immersion course online I'm sure you can find in almost any language someone who would be willing to teach you in a more of an immersion fashion. If you want to learn, uh, for example, you and I have chatted in the past about uh, learning Latin. There are Latin communities online where you can learn what was previously thought to be a dead language or what is commonly thought to be a dead language, and you can learn that online. And so these are the types of things that these courses are the ones that they are much more niche. They're much more targeted. They don't attract thousands and hundreds of thousands of students, and they don't need to. They're much more targeted, focused, flexible, and there's much more variety in them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's. I, I think that's really interesting. So just to recap, it's basically um, the way the way that I understand it um, is that it's almost like a MOOC. If you take a MOOC, it's a free course and it's almost like you're auditing a university course. So you go there, but basically if you weren't there, everything would just happen in exactly the same way. And, you know, you can, it's, you know, like being, if you've ever been a student, you can pretty much take or leave most lectures and go out and drink. Um, But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. A MOOC doesn't come with all the um, community of the university and all that partying. Um, <laughs> then there is there is the Duolingo approach, which is almost like the classic autodidactic. I'm teaching myself a thing by myself in my room, so it's it's kind of not very community focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we had is the third one is like, for example, Udemy and Linda, and there's loads of online courses out there. Um, when they're a little bit smaller, and they you are kind of you have better access to the person who's actually made the course. Like when somebody asks a question in my Udemy course, I have added. Um, answers I have added videos etc so you that's something I would see in there and that's like attending I guess like a class at the adult college or a small you know group exactly class. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay. that, that, I think that's the best parallel in terms of you know the the offline world to the online world yeah that, that's really it's really helpful it's a really cool overview actually 
And what should a language learner look out for? So if somebody's like, okay, right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go on the internet and rock this online course. And what do you think a language learner should look out for in a good course? What would you think, um, you know, separates the wheat from the chaff? The first thing that you have to do and this is this is true for any courses, you have to ask yourself, what actually do I want to get out of this experience? Because as you know, we've just been talking about there are such there is such a huge and wide diversity of options available to you, that it can be very quickly overwhelming. So you have to decide what what is my goal here? Am I going for functional fluency mm -hmm. so that I can go into my target, you know, uh, an environment that's my target language or target language and and be understood? Do I actually want to achieve, um, you know, uh, do I want to pass some of the language tests? Mm -hmm. Do I need to learn the business language, or am I looking at this for? I just want to be able to ask for some food when I go to a restaurant on my vacation. Yeah, so it's that classic self-teaching thing before you kind of go and jump uh, blindly into anything. You've got to start with your own questions. You have to ask yourself some questions and That's think right. about motivation and goals. And because it makes, I mean, it's a whole lot easier to eliminate courses mm -hmm. when you know that I'm only interested in uh, business French, and I specifically am only interested in Canadian French, not Parisian or, or France French. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So you can start to eliminate, you know, when we talk about eliminating the, the wheat from the chaff, it's not that those others are bad courses, but they're not right for you. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Then the next thing that I encourage people to look at is look for success stories. So any good course and any good course creator will not be shy about sharing the successes that their students have had. And when you're looking, so this could be reviews on Udemy, it could be testimonials, um, it could be just a review that someone posted maybe on their blog of a particular course. And what you want to look for there is specifically, are they commenting on, this course was great, I really liked it. That review means nothing. It probably means that they didn't even do the work. <laughs> you want to look for reviews that are specifically talking, again, about your goals. Mm -hmm. You want to see comments like, this course helped me understand the difference between conjugations and declensions, which is something that I have always struggled with. And then yeah. you can say, oh, me too. And you know that that's something that'll help you. So you want to be looking, and, and the other piece of advice that I very often give, especially if it's a, a site that gives star ratings like Udemy or you know ratings out of five, yeah. ignore the one-star ratings and ignore the five-star ratings. What you really want to look for is those reviews in the two to four-star range because those will be the ones that'll actually give you good information about did people actually get out of this course what they were looking for? Even a two-star review can be a good course for you because that two-star review could say, you know what, I was hoping that this language would maybe help me to gain some fluency and instead it was focused on grammar. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for grammar, that's a very helpful review for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely, because you want to focus on the grammar um, in that specific context. So it's, yeah, look at the reviews and what do you make of uh, course previews and things like that? I, I think for me, in the Udemy environment, that was one of the coolest things I could do is I can switch a lot of my classes to preview. People can see a minute of me kind of 
you know, explaining grammar and then either they get it or they don't. And then they'll know, you know, Kirsten, you know, Kirsten makes sense to me or she doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've kind of gone through this winnowing process, like I like to, to be able to, uh, to narrow things down because the most intensive thing is watching some preview videos. And so I want to be able to eliminate as many options before I get to that point as I can. So mm-hmm. when it comes down to that point, then, you know, you start looking at, yeah, the preview videos, um, you start going more in depth into how, what is the description of the course actually say if it's on a site um you know if someone's offering off their own site instead of through udemy you can read through the sales page uh once you've kind of got this this smaller list of of courses that seem like they could fit um because at that point it's you're looking for things like personal resonance what makes sense to me what works to me and in language uh the other thing to bear in mind uh, not so much necessarily with you know traditional european languages but for example, if you were trying to learn, say, Mandarin or Cantonese and you are an English speaker, you may want to also look at things like when this person is uh, speaking in English, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're a Chinese native. Can I actually understand them clearly in their English speaking mm-hmm. Yes. to be able to understand the concepts, uh, be, you know, or flip side of that, you may actually want to seek out uh, a native Chinese speaker because you want to make sure that you get the pronunciation right. So again, it, it comes down to those goals as to do you want someone who's teaching this as a first language, as a second language, uh, and and is this going to be the right fit? I've and some of those things. I've come across that with Russian courses where it's. I found that um, the fact that the person presenting the course couldn't explain things in a way that made sense to me, and their English wasn't that great, even though it was a Russian yeah. course for me. It, I I felt a bit like, well, I'm a Russian beginner. I'm not looking for immersion. I like having context to what I'm learning and you're not explaining the context, right? This is frustrating. Yeah. Whereas someone with a different goal who may, you know, maybe they do have a foundation in yeah. Russian. Maybe they grew up with Russian grandparents. And so they're very familiar with the Russian accent and they, they don't have a problem interpreting English through a Russian accent. Um, you know, that may be a great fit for them. Mm. So, oh, this is really interesting. So... Where would you recommend people should look um, for online courses? Where should you, you know, do you, where do you type in French for Beginners or whatever? And what do you type in? Well, you know, French for Beginners is actually a really great search because there, if you were to put that into Google, you would get a ton of resources, a ton of results, maybe even too many, but you would be able to very quickly see what are some of the top sites that come up? What are some of the top results? Uh, I always also like Udemy just to kind of get your sense of what's available. That's not to say necessarily that you should always take a Udemy course, but for example, if you take a course or you look at Udemy and you say, hey, this course, uh, French for Beginners, looks really interesting, you can look and they have the, the instructor bio on the side. And that bio usually includes a link mm-hmm. to that person's website or to their company's website or what have you. And that can really be a gold mine. If you find someone that you, you feel you resonate with or even if you just want to get more information about them and their approach, if you click back to their website in uh, in university, I, I 
used to call this the uh, the bibliography trek. So you'd read a paper and then you'd see the footnote and then you'd go to the paper that was mentioned in the footnote and you'd find another footnote uh-huh. and you'd go to the next paper and like, it, or we do this on Wikipedia, right? Yeah. Where you have one thing on Wikipedia that. and half an hour, you're 20 pages off in something completely different. Mm-hmm. You can do the same kind of thing with, with any kind of learning uh, or course environment that you're looking for. So you start in Udemy, you look at, you know, what is this person all about? You go to their website, maybe they have a blog, maybe they're talking about some other methods that they do or don't like. Well, then you can go and investigate those sites and you'll find some other platforms, some other options. Um, the big thing is you don't want to overwhelm yourself with too many options. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you know, try and find what are the top 50 courses in French for beginners because yeah, and what, then, okay, I'll try them all. Yeah, or you'll, what'll happen is you'll try none of them because mm. uh, the, what psychology has taught us is that the more choices we are presented with, the less likely we are to actually make a decision. And so one mistake that we make as learners is we think we're doing ourselves a favor by going and trying all these different methods and finding out all these different ways. For me personally, you know, it's not a language example, but I had been trying to get myself into the exercise habit mm-hmm. for a very long time. And I, you know, okay, I'm going to try doing this method and that method. I'm going to try running. I'm going to try, you know, doing body weight exercises. I'm going to try this, that. And it wasn't until three months ago, I finally said, you know what? I need to just choose one method and commit to doing that. And I, in this case, I committed to doing it for six weeks, six weeks of only trying that method. I I was aware there were other methods out there, but I was just going to try this one method for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was going to check in with myself in four weeks' time to make sure that I was still on track. That's... And simply by making the choice to follow one method for a limited period of time, it's not forever, and if it didn't work, I could try something else, but simply by making that choice and giving myself the opportunity to check in with myself and and reevaluate course correct, three months later, I'm now exercising regularly three times a week, and that was something that I hadn't been able to do for years before. Mm Mm-hmm. That reminds me so much. I've uh, recently talked to Benny Lewis, who obviously is uh, very accomplished at teaching himself a a wide array of languages. And we talked about this sort of what he calls a mini mission. And it's it reminds me of that sort of this. So one of the key principles of, you know, getting into the habit of learning anything or doing anything is to is, is that commitment. And I love how you're saying, look, just do it for six weeks, because that it's so much less scary than to think, oh, I've got to do this for five years now, and then maybe I'll be, you know, reaching this amazing big goal of, you know, I don't know, fluently flirting with the hottest French girl I've ever met. No, you know, do it for six weeks. Think about where you can go in six weeks. And and that's what all you need to do. Talking about off the top about goals Uh, and being very specific. Yeah. So don't say I want to learn French. Ah, and that's where Duolingo tells you the end, but it doesn't. You know, that's why people are disappointed by something like Duolingo. I think because it's yeah, it's that I want to learn French, which is very vague. Yeah, that doesn't tell you anything. So if Mm. your goal is to you know flirt with someone in French. 
you don't need to learn 98% of the rest of the language. You just need to learn a couple of pickup lines. <laughs> yeah. And you can do that. And you set yourself a goal that in four weeks, I'm going to go to uh, this, uh, you know, there's a gathering of the, the French community. They're having a, I don't know, Christmas party or what have you. And I'm going to go and I'm going to try a couple of these pickup lines that I've learned and just see what happens. That's an actual goal that you can measure your success against. And that's one of the things that's really important with the goals. You want to know exactly what it looks like in practice, but you also want to be able to benchmark your progress against it so that you don't get to the end and say, three months, six months down the line, oh, I didn't learn the language. You want to be able to check in in three weeks, four weeks and say, how am I doing in terms of progressing toward that goal? How far have I come? Because that that's what keeps us going. It's not motivation in an abstract sense that keeps us going. It's having a track record that we can see and then course correct. If something's not working, if you wait until the end to find that out, then you're going to deem the entire process a failure. But if a third of the way in, you realize you still have time to adjust so that you can still reach your end goal. Mm -hmm. oh, this, is, this is great stuff. I think this is really, really valuable for any language learner. And again, it's kind of, um, as somebody who is providing an online course, and I, I did choose a very, very specific sort of corner of language, um, but I see, I see lots and lots of stuff out there that kind of, you know, says you will learn the language, the, the whole language, everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a case of as a learner, you know, be smart enough to go back to yourself and ask yourself some questions and, you know, look, look at the details of the course and see whether that part of the whole language that it's teaching you is, is what you're after. So this is amazing. Right. I'm going to move on to our tips of the week, uh, which is something I like to do with all of my lovely podcast guests. So I'm going to tell you three different tips and you get to choose which one you think it should be the tip of the week or tip of the podcast or tip of the tip of the Halloween special tip. <laughs> Okay, right. So number one, language immersion by Facebook. This is based on a podcast, uh, a podcast, a blog post um, on the Language Surfer blog, which I really, really enjoy. And um, it's not necessarily new to, um, it's not necessarily a new thing to go into Facebook, but in the post, um, the author goes into a lot of detail and talks about the different ways that you can use Facebook in order to kind of keep your language contact um, as lively as possible. So you can switch the whole system language into your target language. You can follow specific groups that use those languages. Make sure you watch the videos and make sure you watch the comments. So that's tip number one. Use all that Facebook has to offer, um, you know, because it's not dying. Everybody's still on Facebook. Use all <laughs> that Facebook has to offer for your language learning. Tip number two, beat the leaderboard on Memrise, like uh, Leszek Trubawa, who is a young polyglot language learner, uh, somebody who's really into language learning and was recently on the actual Fluency podcast. And Leszek talked about um, 
was very, very, very dedicated to staying at the top of the leaderboard. So if you're a competitive person, um, go on a website like Memrise or stay in Duolingo and try at the top of try and stay at the top of the leaderboard. And does that help you learn a language? And num tip number three: translate to beat the plateau. Uh, in a UK Guardian live Q and A called "What's the best way to learn a language." Um, we had a really good panel, I participated in it, along with Dr. Rebecca Brown from Lancaster Uni. And Rebecca recommended making sure that you have translation, especially at the higher levels, once you're in the sort of B2, you know, reasonable competence intermediate area of language learning. Use translation because it teaches you paraphrasing, it encourages you to, you know, read texts very thoroughly and it sort of keeps you on your toes. So don't forget that translation is a great way of learning a language. So those are the three tips, Facebook, the leaderboards and translation. Those are three very different tips in terms of trying to choose between them. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I like the, uh, the first tip for, for a few reasons. Uh, and, and that was the one about changing, changing your Facebook environment to be almost more of an immersion experience. That's right. And the reason that I like that tip, you know, changing your Facebook interface, eh, it's not really going to make a difference because when you're on a site like Facebook, you're acting more on muscle memory. You're not actually reading what the different, you know, Facebook links and whatnot do. But the real value was what was in the end of that tip was to make sure that you're watching all the videos, you're reading all the comments, that you're actually participating in the milieu. And the reason that I like that tip in particular is because one of the hardest things for language learners to do is to actually stop translating into their own language. So we have this tendency to listen to something, say in French, mentally translate it into English, formulate a response in English, and then translate that back into French. And that is a process that's very mentally taxing and frankly, it makes you sound like an English speaker trying to speak French. The goal that we want to get to is you hear something in French, you respond in French, processing and all of that also happening in French as well. And the best way to do that is to be continually putting yourself in a situation where you are getting the French in context it's in a more immersive fashion so that you're not going between the two languages. You're being more immersed. And the other nice thing about Facebook is, yes, you will still have your, say, English friends talking. And you'll have the French conversations going on in the midst of that. And that helps you uh, with your switching factor. So mm -hmm. it actually helps you to get in the mindset of when I see French, I'm going to get in the French mindset and I'm going to try to be thinking in French rather than I'm going to be translating this into English and then translating it back into French. Oh, that's very interesting. It's a good point. Okay, so it's tip number one, language immersion by Facebook. And don't just switch to system language, but uh, go for it and really interact with Facebook. Um, one thing that I like to do and I must honestly, honestly say, you can tell your brain is working because it's tiring. It is tiring to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently listening to uh, Le Journal en Français Facile, the news in simple French. Uh, yeah. And it's always in simple French. Um, 
<laughs> in my eyes, you know, my French is good, but honestly, accrochement, they said today. I still don't know what that means. I have to look it up. I listen to the news in simple French or sort of simple French. And one thing that I've been doing and I've been telling my students to do, and I know it takes dedication because it is hard and it makes you tired, which means you're working. So it's good. Uh, is switch Siri to your target language mm -hmm. uh, because Siri actually makes you interact with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like Duolingo. You're sort of talking to a robot, but, you know, it's a robot that you already have for free and you get the little success experience of the thing is actually doing what you want it to do. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the, the bonus tip there. So Facebook, Siri, etc. anything that you can voice control, try and switch it to your target language. Might be kind of yeah, there you go. fantastic. Okay, uh, any other, anywhere else that you'd recommend for students to look? Either look for good courses, a uh, place with reliable reviews, or is there a book that you can recommend? Uh, what I recommend is you know talk to talk to other people. You know don't don't try and do this alone. Talk to other people about what's worked for them. Reddit is a great community if you ignore some of the questionable areas of it. It's a great community for language learners. You can go to what they call subreddits for almost any language and there will be uh, communities that you can immerse yourself in in terms of that is the only language that is spoken. There's also language learning subreddits where they have uh, recommendations for resources and that sort of thing. And those are for, for all language, for modern language. There's even one for Latin, for example, uh, and everything in between. So yeah. uh, my my place that I would I would suggest as an additional reader, it's a little bit non-traditional, would be, you know, go check out Reddit. Just there's a search on the top, right? You can search for, uh, you know, whatever language you're looking for and see what comes up because there is some very uh, valuable experience to be gained from that community. Yeah, I love I love Reddit. I, I'm, I'm on there as a as a blogger, kind of sharing every now and then sharing my own articles. Uh, it's a community that's quite strict on its policing, so they sort of keep you honest, which is very mm -hmm. nice. Um, and it, they literally, you can talk about anything on Reddit, which is really, really cool. So I'm, I've, I've found a lot of people who are in the same process that I'm in, which is planning my wedding. <laughs> there's, there's a subreddit for weddings. There's a subreddit for cheap weddings. It's fantastic. So yeah, no, from Esperanto to Latin to German to Russian, uh, you will find you will find something that you're interested in on Reddit. So and, and the language learning subreddit has a language of the week as well, and it's they go from German to Hawaiian. Um, to Klingon, so it's you know no nothing's too obscure. It's fantastic. It's really really dedicated bunch of people. Okay, fabulous recommendation. Where can people find you on the internet? So I'm going to put your blog in the show notes. Um, but you know, do tell us. You know, are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Where can people talk to you? The best place is actually my website, which is my name is Brianne.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I am moderately somewhat kind of active on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash M-N-I-B-R-E-A-N-N-E. Uh, but the best place really is, is my website. I'm posting content on pretty much a weekly basis. You're always welcome to leave comments, uh, send me an email, and I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect with people uh, in that way. Awesome. Right. Thank you so much. I can't even, we could, we could talk for like five hours and you'd still be, I think we could. Yeah. You'd still be saying really amazing, valuable, useful stuff. So there's some great, great tips there for language learners. And I hope all of our listeners got as much out of it as I did. Actually, I found it really useful. 
right, bye, Grant. All right, thank you. <sighs> that was our interview with Brianne Dick. And I must honestly say she is such a smart, inspiring lady that you almost feel like we need a little break after this interview. I want to play you some relaxing music. So I'm just going to find something here in my sound effect uh, basket and play you a little bit of relaxing music to give your brain a break. sound. What we're going to do is say goodbye to you. And there's only one more thing I want to tell you guys about. And that is the Patreon campaign for the Creative Language Learning Podcast and the Fluent Language Blog is now live. Do you like my radio voice? <laughs> you can go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash fluent language patreon.com slash fluent language and support fluent language tuition keep the blog articles coming and you can become a patron so the blog remains and the podcast remains ad free and free from any distractions so you can enjoy the music <sighs> for listening to the creative language learning podcast guys don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast in itunes particularly if you enjoyed it and don't forget that you can also let me know what you're thinking you can email kirsten that's k-e-r-s-t-i-n at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can follow me on twitter and it's simply fluent language on there i'm really looking forward to hearing from you and i'll see you next time goodbye